Okay, um, turn to Acts, the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts today. I want you to turn to chapter 16. Chapter 16. I'm going to be reading out of the New International Version. Um, as you turn there, a couple things. For all of you that volunteered a couple of weeks ago who helped fill some things, thank you so much. We were able to pull off Pioneer Clubs. I think it's starting tonight, um, but we appreciate all of you that stepped forward for doing that. And as you turn, I got to have a cool first lat yesterday with our granddaughter. You know, like football's back. Kind of strange, but it's back, right? And we took her for a walk, and I walked by somebody's apartment. They had the window open. I heard the K-State game on. So when we got home, I just wanted to see what the score was and noticed it was on Fox, and I thought, like, is it really local? Because we don't have many stations. And I turned it on Fox, and sure enough, it was the end of the K-State game. And so Eleanor got to sit in my lap and see her first football game with Grandpa. And she was even wearing a purple headband yesterday, which was so appropriate. So, um, uh, yep, got to make sure I get her in a lot of KU basketball games, though. We don't want to get her... Uh, I took Kieran to a football game one time at K-State, and like it took me five years to undo that out of him. Uh, okay, so, you know, we've been doing this series on really trying to, to think, trying to lay down some big rocks on how do we think about just the big national issues that can consume our attention, because there's always going to be something going on. And trying to think, like I said, we're, we're trying to fly 30,000 feet and think big about this and have a biblical worldview. And a few weeks ago, I mean, the first week, we learned from Luke 13 that Jesus was undeterred in his mission of proclaiming the good news. He was undeterred in that, and his focus was always on the gospel mission. That was always his focus. His mission was global, but Jesus always acted locally, right? He always acted where he was, dealing with real people in front of him in the village where he was. Um, and I believe, I said it that Sunday, and I still believe that I think we as a body are called to keep our primary focus on the place in which we live and are called locally, um, extending His kingdom. Not, I think like Jesus, not being distracted by big national events. I mean, we're aware, we have views, but to not let that distract us, um, and Jesus is my example in that. Don't always follow Him well, but He's my example. So I was thinking, what about Paul? What, what was Paul's approach to all the things going on in the world around him? And I think what we're going to see um, in Paul is, again, that above all else, that he kept his primary focus on Jesus and his good news and the advancement of his kingdom, that that was Paul's primary focus, just like Jesus. So I'm going to take you a little bit. I'm going to ride. We're going to be in Acts. We're going to jump to Philippians, and we're going to come back to Acts. So hang on, but I hope, I trust that there will be a big payoff to all this. Um, so, Acts 16, I want to start in verse 11. In Acts 16, I'm not going to have you stand and read with me because we're going to read this whole chapter. Here's what we read, and this Paul has just stepped foot on European soil on mission. So, in verse 11, from Troas, we put out the sea and we sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi. And this is a really important phrase, a Roman colony, or a sentence, whatever, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there for several days in that colony, okay? Uh, can I just say something very brief about that? Philippi was founded by Philip II, Alexander the Great's father. He, he founded it, he, he helped settle it, uh, built the walls and all of that, 167 B.C., 
uh, or no, even before that, sorry, it was like 360 B.C. And then it became a part of the Roman Empire in 167 B.C. Um, and then in 31 B.C., there was this huge battle that happened right outside of it that actually there was a civil war. Caesar had just been murdered, and there was a civil war going on, and two parties had the, the big battle right outside of Philippi, those who wanted a republic and those who wanted a Caesar, an, emp- an emperor. And Octavian was leading the group that wanted the emperor, and he won. We know him as Augustus, Caesar Augustus. He won. Ended up um, designating that city as a colony of Rome, which we'll talk about in a minute. And he populated it full of uh, retired Roman soldiers, some that even fought in the battle. It was a very important city on the major east-west highway in that part of Asia. If you wanted to go to Turkey from Rome, you went through Philippi. Okay, so... Back to verse 13. On the Sabbath, he went outside the city gate to the river where we expected uh, to find a place of prayer. And Paul, Luke is writing this, by the way. So when he says we, it's, he's, he's writing. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. And by the way, dealing in purple cloth was rare in that day. That meant you dealt with the household of Caesar. I will, if, we, if we come back and do Acts at some point, I'll talk more about that. A very significant woman. And then it says this, The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. They dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them up before the magistrates, and they said, and here's what they said, to me it's significant, these men are Jews, and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And we're going to come back to that in a few minutes. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. The jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors opened... He drew his sword, and he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus, that's important, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in, the ho- in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into the house and set a meal before them. 
he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release these men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now, do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. So the officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were quite alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters, plural, and encouraged them, and then they left. Then they left, and this is the word of the Lord. This is the events that happened in the city of Philippi with Paul. Now, I want you to keep your finger there because we're going to come back to chapter 17 in a minute, but I want you to flip over to Philippians, the book of Philippians to chapter 3. It's to the right of it a little ways, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. This is the letter that Paul wrote to that believing community in Philippi that started with that small group and it it grew uh, enlarged to include others, I'm sure. Um, And in chapter 3 of Philippians, he wrote about, uh, he wrote something that has a really important concept. And I want to put this on the screen, if you don't mind. And here's what he wrote in Philippians 3.20 to these believers in Philippi. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. The NLT, I like the way it puts it. I think they capture the idea well. But we are citizens of heaven and where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly awaiting for Him to return as our Savior. Now, this is really significant because it's the only letter Paul wrote where he talks about citizenship, and there's a reason that he does that. Um, Because if you remember, as we just read in Acts um, 16, Philippi was a colony of Rome, right? And in Roman culture, being a colony and citizenship were inextricably linked. The two things went together. So let me talk to you for a minute about uh, being a colony. This is a picture of some of the ruins of Philippi. There was great dignity in being a Roman colony. It was the highest honor that a city could have, and most did not have this honor. Um, But most cities in the Roman world vigorously sought to become a colony of Rome. There were great benefits to living in a colony like Philippi was. Chief among them was citizenship. The people of a colony automatically were called cives in Latin, which means citizen. The Greek, in a Greek-speaking world at that time, they were called uh, polytuma, which was the Greek word for citizen, the word that Paul uses in, in Philippians 3.20. And being citizens in a colony, they had the full rights of Rome. They possessed, forgive my Latin, it's not very good, That what was called the ius italicium. I'm not even sure that's pronounced right. But what that meant was they had the legal rights of people who actually lived in Italy, as if they lived in Italy, even though they didn't. It meant exemption from taxation and tribute. They could sell and purchase land, which most people in the Roman Empire could not do. But if you were in a colony, you could. They had all the privileges of Rome. So citizenship was highly prized, being a colony. Now, when we think of citizenship, it, the, the idea we have of it is totally different than they had. 
Um, so just a reminder, anytime we read the Bible, we read the Bible with first century eyes, and then we do it, we apply it to 21st century, but we read it with first century eyes. And our idea of citizenship is different because we live in a world, uh, forgive me, but of nation states, something that really has only developed in the last few hundred years. And to us, when we talk about a citizen, our primary idea is the homeland, the homeland, which is our home, the place that if we were to leave for a trip or whatever, we long to get back to um, if we leave for any amount of time. But the whole logic of Roman citizenship was very different in their culture. To them, a Roman colony um, and Roman citizenship worked the opposite the way that we think of it. We think of it, that's my home and that's the place I want to end up being, dying in, whatever, right? That's where I belong kind of thing. Um, they thought of it totally differently. The vast majority of Roman citizens in the Roman Empire never one time visited the city of Rome. Never. They never saw it. It wasn't even in their thinking to go to Rome. It wasn't Rome's intention or desire for them to come to Rome. In fact, it was the opposite. The emperors, the last thing they wanted was people coming to Rome. Rome was already overcrowded. There was very high unemployment. And a lot of the people who they became citizens were actually Roman soldiers that retired. And the last thing the emperor wanted was a city full of soldiers. Julius Caesar had had that kind of a problem. And so they didn't want those. So they would retire them always to colonies is what they would do. They didn't want more people in Rome. So really, citizenship to them wasn't about citizens coming to Rome. It was about taking Rome to the empire. Does that make sense? It was about taking Rome to the empire. The main reason they, they had this whole idea of citizenship and of colonies, the whole reason it developed was it was their way to extend their empire, to extend their rule, to extend their culture, to extend their way of life throughout the whole empire. So a colony was a place that was thoroughly Romanized. More than other cities in the empire, a Roman colony, it looked like Rome, it smelled like Rome, it felt like Rome. Rome poured tons of money into colonies to build Roman architecture, to bring Roman festivals, Roman events, Roman games. If you lived in a colony, you primarily spoke the language of Rome. Philippi is a Greek-speaking city, but from the inscriptions we found from the time of Paul, 80% of the inscriptions were in, were in Italian, were in Latin, not Italian, but were in Latin, not in Greek, even though it was a Greek-speaking city. Um, a colony was run on the principles of Rome, the law of Rome. I said they had the rights of Rome. They had the culture of Rome, the dress of Rome. Their events were Roman events, the festivals, the entertainment. They even had the gods of Rome that were brought to that city. So here's the key to, in their understanding of living in a Roman colony and being a Roman citizen. To them, a colony was an extension of Rome. It was a little Rome. It was an outpost of that city. A colony was kind of like an Ikea showroom. You ever been to an Ikea? Guys don't go. You can't get out of there. Like, you get in it, and it's like never-ending because they want you to see all the showcases. But it was like an Ikea showroom of Rome to showcase Rome to the rest of the empire and the benefits of being Roman. Um, to be a citizen of Rome was to be a person who put Rome and all of her ways and all of her glory on display to the rest of the empire. It was 
through this whole system of colonies and citizenship that Rome was trying to spread its culture and its influence. Um, let me illustrate it this way. I live in Chief's Kingdom, but I live as a colony of Denver. Okay? <laughs> Sorry, Bill. I mean, you're a colony of Boston, right? <laughs> so, you, you know, I'm a, I'm a colony. I'm trying to, to bring the culture of Denver to this place. Um, Carissa lives as a colony in, in Chapel, I mean, in Duke, not in Duke, yeah, in Durham, North Carolina, trying to be the culture of the Jayhawks to an area that's all about the Duke Blue Devils. So, back to Romans, I mean, back to Philippians 3.20, back to Philippians 3.20. But we are citizens of heaven, and where the, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, we are citizens of heaven. Here's how they understood that verse. As believers living in the Roman colony of Philippi, they are there to help bring God's rule and His culture to that city. That's how they thought of this. They know this means they are to look like God, they're to smell like God, they are to feel like God to that city. They understood that this meant they were an extension of heaven on earth, that they were to be a microcosm of heaven in Philippi, that they were to be a taste of heaven to the Philippian people, the people of Philippi. They were to be heaven in miniature, a reproduction of heaven. They were an outpost of God's eternal city. And they were intended to showcase God and His kingdom to the rest of the world in the way that they loved and the way they lived. So to be a citizen of heaven is to be a person who puts the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all of His ways and all of His glory on display to the place where they lived. So you see, when Paul left the city of Philippi at the end of Acts 16 as we left, he left a colony of heaven planted in a colony of Rome. He left there an outpost of heaven on earth. A house church made up of a former slave girl, a jailer and his family, very blue-collar guy, and Lydia, very upper class, and her family, all meeting in her home. And it was the first kingdom colony planted in Europe. Isn't that cool? That small house church in Philippi was a beachhead of the kingdom of God in that city. As Francis Schaeffer put it, they were a pilot plant of new creation. And God planted them there as a colony of the kingdom of heaven so that people could catch a glimpse of what He and His kingdom were like. Now, let's go back to Acts. We were, we were there, and I want you to flip back to Acts 17. I want to continue the story. This is all getting somewhere. This is, to me, all about what Paul's about in his life. So in Acts 17, look at verse 1. So when Paul and his companions had passed through, they, so they've gotten thrown out, right? Or they've left Philippi. So when they, he and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. And as was Paul's custom, he went into that synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. So he's taking the Scriptures and reasoning. Explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous. They were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. 
they rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble, who have caused trouble all over the world, have now come here, literally in the Greek, these men who've turned the world upside down have come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They're all defying Caesar's decrees, and they're saying there's another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond, and they let them go. These men have turned the world upside down. They're defying Caesar's decrees. They're saying there's another king besides Caesar, and his name is Jesus. So the crowd in the cities, pretty much everywhere Paul went, are thrown into turmoil. And why was that? Why is it that everywhere he went, he stirred up Jews and Romans? What's going on? Well, let me explain. The message that Paul brought with him, the good news of Jesus, and this is really important, as the risen Lord, stirred up everybody in the Roman culture, Jews and Romans. His proclamation is Jesus is Lord. And here's why. Because in the Old Testament Scripture, Jews would never say the name of God, Yahweh. We've talked about this. At Christmas, I actually talked about this. Whenever they came to the name Yahweh, they would always replace it with another word, and that word was Lord. They would always say, Lord, in the NIV, I believe, when you see in the Old Testament, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that means Yahweh is what's behind it, the name of God. Lord, to a Jew, to proclaim Jesus as Lord was to say, this is Yahweh who came in human flesh. So it stirred up the Jews whenever you talked about Jesus as Messiah and Jesus as Lord. To a Roman, to talk about Jesus as Lord was to come against the gospel of Caesar, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. And to a Roman, um, to a Jew, it was blasphemy to call Jesus Lord. To a Roman, it was sedition and treason to call anybody but Caesar Lord. Because there was an opposing gospel that ruled the hearts and minds of the empire. The Greek word for gospel is euangelion, um, which means good news. It was not a common word at this time when Paul lived. It was an official word term that was used to announce the rise of a new emperor. It was not used for other kinds of good news. It was used for the rise of a new emperor. And the, it was first used, euangelion, at the announcement of Octavian being enthroned as the deified God emperor. First use of Octavian, Julius Caesar. Um, Julius Caesar being the one, the Caesar who gave Philippi its, its status as colony. Julius Caesar being the one who called the census that brought Jesus' parents to Bethlehem where he was born. So beginning with Julius Caesar, beginning with him, there was this gospel, this euangelion of the Caesar. He called himself Divi Filius, which meant the Son of God, royal emperor Caesar Divi, the divine one. Anytime you came into a city, especially a colony, there would be an altar to Caesar, and as you entered, you would do an offering or incense, and then you would say Kaiser Kurios, if you were speaking in Greek, which is Jesus, I mean, sorry, which is Kaiser or Kaiser, Caesar is Lord. When you went to the temple of Caesar to worship him, you would say Caesar is Lord because he claimed lordship. He was also called Libertatis, which means the Savior. 
by decree, a Roman decree by the Senate, he was called the universal savior of mankind. There were Egyptian coins that had stamped on them, Caesar Augustus, the great heavenly savior. These are some of the coins. This was their main form of propaganda. There was no TV, no newspaper. They used coins to proclaim a message in that culture. And the gospel that was proclaimed in the Roman Empire was the gospel of Caesar, that he was Lord, he was savior of the whole world, that he was God, and through him came peace the Greek word shalom, through all the prosperity that he brought to the Roman Empire, and that if you worshiped him and served him well, that he would bring prosperity to you. There were, all over the empire, there were temples to Caesar, there were statues to Caesar and his divinity, there were altars to Caesar, religious festivals held in his name. And emperor worship was not an optional act. It was something that everybody had to do in every city. You had to bow the knee to Caesar, and you had to proclaim Kaiser Kurios, Caesar is Lord. And if you didn't, it was high treason and the punishment was death. So here comes Paul into the Roman world, taking this word euangelion that Jesus used, taking this word that was only used of Caesar, and he's proclaiming a different good news, a different gospel that nobody had ever heard, and a gospel of the world's true Lord and Savior, right? a gospel of a Savior who was born to a virgin in fulfillment of Old Testament Scripture. And he came proclaiming Jesus as Messiah, the true King, the true Son of God, who was Lord of all, who lived and died and rose again in order to redeem all of humanity from bondage to sin and Satan. And all who believed in Jesus, do you know what they proclaimed? To all who confess with their mouth, Iesu Kurios, Jesus is Lord, and who believe in their heart God has raised Him from the dead, they will be saved, Romans 10.9. The proclamation of the new believers was not Kaiser Kurios, but Iesu Kurios, Jesus is Lord. Can you see why this message would stir up so much trouble in especially a Roman colony or anywhere in the Roman Empire? Because there were two very different gospels and two very different stories that were going on. Caesar became Lord through political action military victory, official decree. His was a political kingdom, a kingdom attained through violence. Jesus was the true Son of God, and He was Lord, not by decree, but from eternity past. He did not come to conquer militarily. He came in humility, proclaiming an eternal kingdom that would bring salvation and the shalom of God, the peace of God. He did not come to be served, but He came to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. He was one not to, who came not to hang rebels on crosses, but he came to be hung on a cross to give his life for all of us who are rebels. So here's Paul, this lone missionary. Why did he create everywhere he went, stir up so much trouble? It was because he was proclaiming Jesus as Lord. He brought with him another gospel, a gospel of the kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus, a gospel that literally turned the world upside down. So, let me bring this to how I look at Paul and what I see as Paul's emphasis in his life, okay? And to me, how it applies to the whole idea of how do I deal with national issues. And to me, he's taking the same stance that Jesus took in Luke 13. When they came and said, Pilate killed a bunch of dudes in Jerusalem. What are you going to say? And he says, unless you repent, he turned it back to the gospel. And I want you to know this, that Paul was known more for the gospel 
than he was known for his political agendas. From everything we know from the New Testament, Paul never directly attacked the empire. He did not address the political situation of his day at all. He didn't criticize the immorality of the empire nor its horrendous brutality. He never addressed that. And Paul never overtly critiqued Caesar. And his label, his claims to be Lord and God, never said outright that it was fraudulent. He never did that. Without critique, Paul simply proclaimed Jesus as Lord, an alternative gospel, an alternative story, an alternative king and a kingdom. And he embodied that kingdom in his life. He didn't have to say a single word about Caesar or his empire. He simply preached Jesus as the crucified and risen Lord. That's what he did. He spoke the truth about Jesus. He lived the truth of Jesus. And that is what critiqued the empire and everything in it. By preaching Jesus and living Jesus, that was a critique of the empire. And he never treated anybody disrespectfully. He treated all as valuable people created in the image of God, like we talked last week. And like Jesus, Paul's enemy was not the empire. It was not the empire. Do you know who Paul's enemy was? It was Satan, the evil one. Because Paul knew that we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So again, a reminder that I need occasionally, if something or somebody has flesh and blood, they are not the enemy. The enemy is Satan, okay? And yet, even though he proclaimed Jesus and lived Jesus, never critiqued the empire, never critiqued Caesar, though he treated everybody with respect and dignity, deserving of somebody who's born in the image of God, yet he stirred up trouble and riots in many of the cities he entered, simply by proclaiming, Jesus is Lord. And because of that, that proclamation in Philippi, they said of him, he's advocating customs unlawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Because he proclaimed Jesus is Lord in Thessalonica, they said, this guy's turning our world upside down. Because he proclaimed Jesus is Lord, they said he's defying Caesar's decrees. Because he proclaimed Jesus is Lord, they said that He's saying there's another king besides Caesar, a king named Jesus. I find Paul's overriding approach and mission to be the same of Jesus. I said that, that he was all about the extension of the kingdom. That's what Paul was about. And as we've seen in Acts 16 and the first part of 17, I see that Paul focused on two things in his life, and I've already said it. Number one, preaching Jesus and exhibiting him. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4, what I received, I placed onto you as of what? First importance. Paul, what's of first importance? What's the main thing? That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. His main thing was proclaiming Jesus. And then His second main thing was forming little colonies of heaven all over the Roman Empire. As people accepted that message, he would form a colony of heaven all over the Roman Empire. Not critiquing culture, but preaching a message, preaching a message and planting colonies that by their very nature critiqued Caesar and the empire. To every locale where Paul went, he spread the message person by person, house by house, block by block, city by city. 
And in doing so, the kingdom of God came to both Philippi and Thessalonica. He was primarily concerned with planting gospel seeds, seeds, planting gospel seeds that grew into gospel communities, gospel colonies in every city that he visited. That's the two things he was about. Colonies that he knew well would spread and slowly impact culture. Primarily, primarily through conversion and individually changed lives. Paul knew that. Colonies that would eventually reshape the empire. He knew that like the mustard seed of parable of Jesus said, that the seeds of the gospel over time would turn the world upside down, would turn Rome upside down, and over time would take care of many of the social ills of the Roman Empire. And it did. If you know the history, it did. According to Pliny the Younger, he was a, a leader, a governor in, in Turkey, writing to Trajan the emperor. Because of the growth of the church, he reported in a letter to him, he said, because of these people, most of our temples are deserted. The established religious lights have long been neglected. And the sacrificial animals um, that are brought into the city, that there are very few purchasers to be found. Just by being the people of God, they were impacting the culture. Emperor Julian, several couple of centuries later, towards the end of the empire, desiring to restore the old pagan ways, wrote a letter to the pagan high priest. I uh, can't say the dude's name. I don't know how to say it. But basically, here's what he said of the followers of Jesus. These impious Galileans, the Christians, they support not only their own poor, but ours as well. All men see um, that our people lack aid from us. They're taking care of everybody. Eusebius, the famous ancient historian, wrote, the Christians' deeds were on everybody's lips and they glorified the God of the Christians. And because of Paul planting gospel seeds and gospel colonies over time, the violent gladiatorial games ended, slavery ended, among other things. Let me add one quick thing, if you don't mind, that's a preview of next week. Okay, this is not to say that Paul didn't personally care about the injustices of Roman society, that he didn't know or he didn't care. He did care passionately. And next week, I want to show you Paul acting locally with a very specific individual who is experiencing injustice um, to bring justice to an individual created in the image of God. Okay, so let me bring it to us. What's this have to do with us? I mean, I... First, I believe like Jesus and Paul that our primary, not our only, but our primary mission in life is to make disciples of all nations. That's our primary mission. In the words of Luke 24, 47, that we would preach repentance and forgiveness of sins in His name to all nations beginning in our Jerusalem, which is Emporia, Kansas. Well done, Dion Hall. That's exactly what you did. And second, we should strive individually and as a community for us to live as a colony of heaven. That's what we should be living for, Jesus, and that we would be a colony of heaven here. That we at 12th Avenue, we would be an extension of heaven. That we would be a foretaste. That we would be an outpost of God's eternal city in Emporia, Kansas. That we would showcase His kingdom to those that are around us in the ways that we love each other and the way we treat each other. We, in 12th Avenue, we are to put the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, His beauty and His glory, we are to put Him on display in Emporia, Kansas. 
And we're to pray for and engage our city, longing to see Jesus' vision of on earth as it is in heaven here. Lord, may it be in Emporia as it is in heaven. To me, those were Paul's two priorities, and it's ours. I really think it's so easy in the culture we live in where we have been granted a voice. I think it's easy to think that the main way for us to bring about Christian influence is through power or political change. It's easy to think that way. And there's nothing wrong with using your voice. God gave it to us. But I want to tell you, um, that is not the primary way that Jesus and Paul turned the world upside down, was through political change. They proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom of God, the kingdom and of Jesus, locally, one person, one place at a time. That's how they turn the world upside down, and that's what we should do. So the best way for us to influence our neighborhood, our workplace, our city, our nation, our world, I believe, is to first and foremost bring the good news of Jesus as Lord to those around us and then to be the good news as those living in a colony of heaven. We live in a culture like Rome that proclaims a gospel of its own. And you know what the gospel is in America, I think? Here's the gospel in America. The absolute freedom to define yourself and to do whatever you want. And I think it's all easy, too easy to bow to the American gospel, even for us, to live a life of leisure and pleasure, a gospel of materialism and consumerism that makes life all about what I've got and what I can get. It is so easy to bow to that gospel. But for us... Our allegiance should be to Jesus alone, right? So we proclaim Him. We live radically following after Him in His way. We put others first. We love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We love our enemies and pray for our enemies. We show mercy to those who need mercy. We help bring justice to those who need justice. We treat every human being as somebody created in the image of God. And above all, we put God and His glory on display. So to me, like Paul and like Jesus, we want to be known as people. We want to be known more for the gospel we proclaim than the political agendas we carry. That's what I'm convinced of that. Let us keep the main thing, the main thing, and that is Jesus and His kingdom. So, wrap up. Here's the radical idea that I think, that I see in Paul's life in Acts 16, 17 in the letter of the Philippians. The primary way we're going to shape our culture, especially locally, is by being, obeying Jesus' command to make disciples by sharing the good news of Jesus with those we interact with, and by living out the message in our lives individually and as a community that we would be a colony of heaven. That individually in our marriages, in our families, in the way we run our business, the way we work, in our recreation, in all that we do, how, no, whether we eat or drink, that we would give glory to God. That's to me, is the call. That's the call. Take the good news of Jesus to the world that He is Lord, and be the good news. And if we do that, we'll impact the places around us. Because that's how Jesus did it, and that's how Paul did it. Okay, next week, I do want to look at Paul in an instance of an individual where there was injustice going on in that individual's life, and I want to ask the question, how did Paul relate locally with something he saw going on around him? He lived big. I mean, this was his big thing, the gospel, planting colonies. So, all right. Would you stand with me? I would like to close in prayer. 
Father, that was a lot for me to think about. It was a lot for these guys to listen to. I really pray that we would take upon us the example of Jesus and the example of Paul, that our lives would be about extending the kingdom of God, that we would be about, we would be people who are bringing the message of Jesus to people, and we would be the message in the way we live, not just individually, but the the way we at 12th interact with each other would put your kingdom and your glory on display. Because I'm convinced that is really the way that your influence spreads. One person, one place at a time. So make us that kind of a people, please, here at 12th Avenue. May we be a colony of heaven that reflects you well. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. May we be like him. Amen. All right, so you are sent to be proclaimers of Jesus and to live as a colony of Jesus this week, wherever you are. And one more thing, if you're a college student here, come back at about 12.15 because we've got a special lunch for college students today. So, see you next week.